All right, what's up, guys? <laughs> Happy Thursday night. Happy thing. You guys look good. You look all right tonight. Turn to your neighbor and be like, oh, I'm so glad that I sat next to you. Praise God that I sat next to you. Amen. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Hey, if you are new to Red Rocks Young Adults, we want to say welcome. You are also joining us on an awesome night. Um, if you've been coming for a long time to Red Rocks Young Adults, we want to say awesome. You're coming on a good night because we are in a new series called Young and Free. And I don't know how you feel tonight, but I hope you feel young. Most of you are in your 20s. This is the time of life where you are making the biggest decisions of your life. Decisions like, what am I going to do with my life? Decisions like, who am I going to marry if I get married? Decisions like, what am I going to do with my finances? What kind of person am I going to be? What kind of character am I going to be? And the world is literally your oyster, amen? And so you are young and you are free. If you are in here and you are in Christ Jesus, you are free in Christ. You have all of his freedom. You have all of his attributes. And so you are young and free. And this entire series is based on our identity, our vision, and our DNA as a ministry. And so you guys might remember DNA from school, okay? Um, basically, a DNA is who we are. It is, the building, uh, it is the building mechanism of everything that we have come to be. It means deoxyribonucleic acid, right? <laughs> All the, med, all the med students are like, yes! <laughs> so excited. And, and basically what DNA is, it, it, it is a code within your body that determines every single molecule and every single protein and every single building block within your body. And so even though you can't see it by the naked eye, even though it's not something that you necessarily even think about, everything that you are, is contingent upon a very small and intentional and precise building code called DNA. And in the same way, there is a DNA within this church. There is a DNA within God's house, within God's body. There is a way that God builds his kingdom. There is a way that God builds his church. And even though you don't think about it, long before there were LED screens and long before there were people making coffee and long before there were people in the parking lot and hundreds of people coming in the door, listen, there was a DNA to this place. And we believe that Red Rocks Young Adults doesn't just exist to come here on Thursday nights and like feel good. We believe that actually God is doing something very special and miraculous in the city of Denver. And we have a mission our mission is our DNA. It's who we are. And so if you're joining us for tonight, uh, for the very first time, listen, you're coming on a good night. I'm going to tell you who, you who we are, and we hope you're going to want to be a part of that. So our mission statement is threefold. Number one, we believe that we are here to bring God's love to everyone. We believe that we are here to bring God's love to everyone. Number two, we believe that we are here to build God's kingdom on earth, just like Jesus is uh, prayed that we would bring God's kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven. And number three, that we would live fully for his fame, not for other people's recognition of ourselves, not for, um, man, our name to be glorified, not for us to feel cool, but for the King of kings and the Lord of lords to feel our praise. And so that's why we're here on Thursday nights. That's what we're doing, and we believe that God is moving in a generation. I believe that God is moving in a generation. And we're so excited to be a part of it. And so the question I have for you tonight, young adult, is what are you building with your life? 
What are you building with your life? Because I believe that God wants to invite you into building something that is worthy of your whole life. Amen? And so I titled tonight, Building Kingdom Builders. Building Kingdom Builders. And we are going to bow our heads and invite Jesus to be here. God, we thank you. And Holy Spirit, while I don't know exactly what you want to do tonight, I, I sense you so real and so fresh in this room. And so, God, I just, I already give you permission to rearrange the notes and to um, rearrange my words. God, that the people that are here are here on purpose, for a purpose. God, designed by you intentionally. And God, I pray that every single person, myself included, God, we would walk out of here. God, unleash us into a society that needs us. And so, God, we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Everybody said together, amen. 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 How many of you in here have at some given point in time found yourself to be um, employed in a construction position? In a construction, amen, amen. How many of you are electricians? Do we have any electricians in here? All right, all right, keep the lights on, keep the lights on. Uh, how many of you have ever built houses like you've been framers or you've uh, done drywalling or painting? Amen, amen. Drywalling's difficult, we tried to do it ourselves. Don't guarantee, you know, don't recommend doing that, okay? Um, how many of you are plumbers? We got any plumbers in the house? Amen, I see a couple of you. Hey, our youth staff keeps you employed. <laughs> That's a joke. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> man, man, builders, people that build things, blue-collar workers, I feel like you know something that God wants the rest of the world to know. I feel like people who work with their hands, who build something, they know something that I think God wants every single person to know, and it is the joy of seeing the work of your life come to fruition. It is the joy of building something worthy with your hands and with your mind. It's a satisfaction that maybe, maybe, Builders know a little bit better than the rest of us. And growing up, my dad was a builder. He was an excavator. For those of you who don't know what that is, they uh, dig dirt. My dad would say he was a subterranean penetration engineer, and I was like, <laughs> Dad, <laughs> you get into a little tractor and you dig dirt. Like, let's get real, right? <laughs> and so, and so, but growing up, my dad was so resourceful, so smart, so driven. And so I remember being a small kid, and my dad decided to build a house for my mother and all of us, for our whole family, right? And so I remember as a child him pulling me up into his lap, and he laid out blueprints for what would be our house. And he said, you know, and he showed me, he's like, Jess, this is going to be the kitchen. And like, here's where we're going to put cabinets. And I'm going to have a door here. And then this is the hallway. And, you know, here's the backyard. Here's where the front door will be. And I was looking at it, and it's all like one-dimensional. And it was new for me to learn. And then I remember him showing me, and he said, and Jess, this is your room. And I was like, oh. And he's like, well, he's like, actually, you get to choose between two rooms. I'm going to let you choose and not your sister. And I was like, I knew I was your favorite, you know. <laughs> 
And he's like, and he's like, so, so which room do you want? And I got to choose. And then he goes, I was thinking about putting a bench just below your window. What do you think of that? And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, that'd be sick. And he's like, and I was thinking that I would give you and your sister your own sinks. And I was like, all the ladies in the room said, amen. You know, like, like I was like, I need my own sink, dad. I'm gonna be in puberty soon. You know, like, give me my makeup, you know? And so, so he gave me my own sink, and I remember going to the house, and originally it was, we'd go to this plot of land, and originally it was just dirt, right? And then all of a sudden, I'd come back a few weeks later with my parents, and it would be like foundation, and then a few weeks later, and it would be like framing, and then there would be a roof. And I remember the day I walked in to the home, and my mom and my dad, who still live there in this house to this day, they walked me to my room, and they showed me the room that my father built me. And there is a joy that comes from building something that only people that build something will ever know. My father built something with his hands and with his friends and with his heart. And there is a joy that comes from building something that I think God wants every single person in here to know. And in the Bible, we read about a man who built something worth his life. He built something worthy of his life, and his name was Nehemiah. We talked about him at the beginning of the year, if you were here. Um, at the New Year, we did a series called Before the Thunder, and we talked about this dude named Nehemiah. Okay, He grew up in Babylonian captivity. He was an Israelite or a Jew that had been taken into Babylon and then grew up in Babylonian courts, and he was such a good man. He was such the dude that he rose to the courts all the way up to being a, an official under the king. His name was King Artaxerxes. And what made Nehemiah the dude, what made Nehemiah so cool was not that he was talented, was not that he was so skillful, it was that he was trustworthy. And I wonder tonight if, if what could be said about you and what could be said about me is that we are found trustworthy in the kingdom of God. That what people say about us, what our employers say about it, is, is, wow, we can trust them. We can trust them. What our friends say about them is, she keeps secrets. I can trust her. What is it that God is going to say about our generation? What is it that people, I hope that what people say about our generation is that we were trustworthy. According to Proverbs, those who are trustworthy are blessed. It says that those who try to make money really quickly, they end in doom. But those who are trustworthy are blessed. And so Nehemiah knew something that the rest of us maybe need to learn tonight, and it is that being trustworthy is worth something. And so he was trustworthy to this king. He was trustworthy to King Artaxerxes so much so that he actually was the cupbearer. Now what a cupbearer would do is you would eat the food of the king, you would taste the food of the king, and you would drink the drink of the king before he did, so that if it was poisoned, you would die first. But the reason that this was such an important role was that King Artaxerxes had so much faith in Nehemiah that he knew that anything Nehemiah placed before him was good to go. He could trust Nehemiah. Not only that, but Nehemiah was so fascinating because he built something so significant with his life, and yet he was not a builder originally. He was probably a white-collar dude. He probably never had any calluses on his hand. Homeboy probably never picked up a hammer. And yet, according to the Bible... He hears about the city of Jerusalem, which is his city, even though he's never seen it. It is his homeland, even though he's never seen it. And it is in ruin. 
And he's so devastated about it that he begins to pray to God and he begins to ask God to intercede and to do something on his behalf and he repents. And I don't know if you've ever been in a season where you've repented not just for you, but maybe for your generation or not just for you, but maybe for men, all of America, but you've been like, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for the way we've acted. Nehemiah has this moment where he's like, God, I forgive us. And then he says, God, your city and your kids, they have no home, and you need to bring them home. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 1, verse 8. It says this, remember, uh, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though, you, uh, though your outcasts are at the outermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and place them into the place I have chosen." And I will make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power, God, and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to my prayer of your servant and um, to the prayer of your servant who delights and to fear in your name and give success to your servant today and grant mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. And so he begins to pray. Nehemiah begins to pray, and what he prays for is he says, God, your kids have no home. They have no place to go. And he says, these are your chosen people. These are your redeemed people. These are your people, God. And I don't know if you know this tonight, but if you have come to know God, even, listen, even if you are in this room and you have not come to know God, here's what you need to understand is that God has already chosen you. <laughs> the Bible says that he chose us before the beginning of time. And according to 2 Peter, the Bible says that we are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy generation set apart. And then it says this, it says that we might give praises to him who brought us out of darkness and into light. And so he says, these chosen people of yours are at risk. I don't know what you're feeling tonight. I don't know where you came from tonight. I don't know what your background was tonight. Maybe you have an ex-boyfriend that didn't choose you. Maybe you had, man, you had a coworker that didn't choose you or an employer that didn't choose you. None of that matters as much as the fact that you have a God in heaven who chooses you. And he says, you are mine. And Nehemiah reminds him, he's like, these are your kids. These are your chosen people. Have you ever wondered why the church of God is so powerful and how it redeems so many different scenarios? It's because it's full of chosen people. It's because it's full of people, full of his spirit. Chosen people, a special possession, that's what the Bible says. So Nehemiah says, these are your kids and they have no place to go. And then he says this, he says, and so you will need to gather them, Lord. Please gather them, God, and bring them to the place that you have set for them. And make your name dwell there. What Nehemiah is saying about God in this moment is that God is a builder. That God's heart from the beginning of time has to create not just a place, but a whole community where his people could come home and his name could dwell among them. This is the heart of God. God is a builder, church. He is a builder. And from the beginning of time, from the beginning of the church until now, he has been building his church nonstop, 
always, ever-present, ever-moving. And he's just building and building and building and building. God is a builder. If you are in here tonight and you're wondering, well, what do I then build? We have the joy, believer. We have the joy, church, of getting to join him. The role of the church is to join God in what he is already doing and what he is already building. And so that leaves the question then, well, how does God build? Or when God builds, what does he build? And, and, and what, what's important to God as he builds? What is it that, that God wants us to build with him? If we are to build with him, then what are we to build? And I think Nehemiah can give us some clues. It can give us some ideas about the way that God builds a home for his people, for his name to dwell. And the first thing is this, is that God will always build in a way where people belong. God is going to build something where people belong. Nehemiah prays and he says this, Though your outcasts are in the outermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Nehemiah says, God, I want you to gather your people just like you said you would and bring them to the place you are building for them and make your name dwell there. And just so you know, I'm not talking about necessarily always a building, church. I hope you know that what God is capable of is so much more than like bricks and mortar. He's capable of building something in you. He's capable of building something through you. He's capable of building something in this city that nobody's ever seen. And so God is building something. And when he builds, he builds something where everyone belongs. Nothing quite feels like home, right? Amen. How many of you uh, in the last couple of months or maybe in the last couple of years, you've left home or you've left your home state to go to another state? How many of you have done that? Amen. Some of you are in here tonight and you've actually left home pretty recently. I remember a few years ago I was in college and I left home to go to Akron, Ohio. And um, Akron, Ohio was a little bit different than Denver, Colorado. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's like got rolly hills and Denver's got mountains and it's, got, it's wet in Akron. It's really dry here. And Denver's a really young city and Akron not as much. You know, like it's like, it's like, and so I remembered rolling into the city and nothing felt, um, gosh, like a, the facility of my home. You know what I mean? I remembered walking into a grocery store and they had this grocery store called Myers. And I was like, I, you know, and I was like, I don't even know where peanut butter is here. And I'm like, walking, like, where's produce? You know what I mean? And I remember feeling like this is not my, this is not my grocery store. This isn't my grocery store. And I remember like seeing bugs there and bugs were like this, like their state bird in Ohio is a bug. I swear to God. <laughs> It's uh, huge bugs, right? And I was like, these are not my bugs. Like, I don't hang out with these bugs. Like, we got no bugs in Denver. I don't know what this is, right? And I was like, I don't understand. Like, and then, you know, it would rain there, and it would be like these walls of rain. I mean, it, the rain there was unbelievable. It was so just the rain was, it was like a monsoon. And then I remember too, they all played, like here we like rock climb, you know, and we like, we, we go hiking and we mountain bike and stuff like that. There they play euchre. And, amen, somebody was like, yes, <laughs> our bridge. I learned how to be a 75-year-old woman before I turned 75. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to know exactly what I need to do. I even remember sleeping in my bed and being like, man, this just doesn't feel like my bed. And I remember flying home for one weekend and saying with my folks, the moment I walked in my house, it smelled like home. Yeah? 
You know, it smelled like home. But then I went back, and how many of you know that actually home doesn't necessarily just have to do with creature comforts, it doesn't just have to do with the facilities that you engage in, but home has to do with where you belong. And I found some friends, some lifelong friends, friends that I would end up being in their wedding, friends that I would end up being, I mean, friends to this day. And the reason I felt like Akron was home was not because I had a cool house or a great bed or I, I did not like the grocery store. It was because I had a place that I belonged. And God wants you to belong somewhere, church. God has formed you in a way to belong somewhere. God, when he created human beings and when he created the stars and the moon and he separated land from sea and he made human beings, listen, he made man and the very first, like he would make stuff and he'd be like, oh, that's so good. And he'd be like, that's good too. I made that, that's good. That is a leopard, that is good. Like he would just talk about how good his creation was. I love the Lord. And then he sees man whom he made. And he's like by himself, and he's like, this is not good. God actually says something about something that he did, and he says, this, is not, this isn't what I designed. God created, he himself is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's his own life group. Like, <laughs> God is all about belonging. He doesn't exist apart from belonging. And so he looks at humans and he looks at men and he's like, it's not good that you should be alone. And so I don't know where you came from tonight. Maybe you came in here and, um, man, you don't have a place that you belong. What you need to understand is that you belong here and that at young adults, we are building a place at this community, in this house. We are building the way the Lord builds and the way that the Lord builds is, listen, number one, everyone belongs. Everyone belongs. <laughs> Connection, we live in an electronic era and it's kind of tricky, is it not? Yeah. It is kind of tricky. And honestly, we all grew up in it like by default. I kind of feel sorry for us in some way. We don't know how else to do life. And so I read a book a few years ago called Bowling Alone and it was about the degradation and the depletion of community from 1955 until today. And they said that from 1955 until today, everything shifted and the decline in community can be attributed to a bunch of things. Um, man, the pressures of two income households, uh, the electronic era and social media era and the fact that we only know how to engage with people via social media. Why, why talk with people when you can just talk about yourself, you know? But the number one thing that they talked about in this book was um, in 1955, the way that people operated was communally. And here's what I mean. When they would go to work out, they would go to a rec center where everybody worked out together. And today we have personal in-home gyms. In 1955, when, when they would do business, they would shake hands and they would like, salesmen would go door to door and they would make eye contact and they would have relationships. Today, we have personal at-home offices. And so we have exchanged community for individuality. We have personal computers, we have personal in-home chefs if you're super rich. <laughs> I read that in the book and I was like, no one has that in this room. <laughs> if you do, invite me over, amen? We have personal in-home theaters, again, only if you got cash, you know, but like, they call it the Starbucks effect, where you go to a place and you are among people, but you're tippy-typing on your computer as an individual. 
and because of this, says that we are the most lonely generation of all time. Statistically, and this is from the American Sociological Society, they interviewed 1,500 people, and of them, one quarter of people said that they have no one to share their triumphs with and no one to share their tribulations with. It said that, it said not just that, but that from 2001 to 2016, the number one thing that in 2001, if you were to say, how are you, people would say, good. In 2016, if you were to say, how are you, the number one thing people would say is what? Busy. They would say busy. And so now we live in a world where 10% from 2001 to 2016, 10% more people are feeling lonely than ever before. See, we are doing life, but we aren't doing it with other people. We are experiencing triumphs. We are experiencing tribulation, but we aren't doing it with other people. And God looks at a generation and he says, not so with my church. I have not built you in a way to do your life alone. And so in a world that is constantly trying to almost disintegrate this thing of belonging, God says, that is not how I built. When I build, it is for everyone to belong. It is for everyone to have a home. It is for everyone to come and feel heard and feel needed and feel known. This is the church. This is why when you walk in here and you see about everyone out in the lobby, it is because we are about everyone and we are about every single one. We are about everybody and we're about you too because we want you to belong. This is why we've been spending months getting leaders trained up for life groups. And they have been prepping and getting ready to open their houses and getting ready to open their Bibles and getting ready to open their lives to you because we believe that you belong. We believe that you belong somewhere. And in a couple weeks, we are going to launch over 25 groups. We're going to launch even more college groups. If you are in college here in Denver, you belong. We have a group for you. It is because we are building something along with the Lord where people belong. It's a church. And we believe that we are to build with him. The second thing about building something where people belong is that people belong and then they bring along. They belong and then they bring along. Nehemiah cries out to God and he says, God, gather the outcasts. Gather the outcasts. And when he's saying that, he's saying, gather the people, your chosen people, who are now exiled. And if you were to Google exile tonight, it means somebody who has been taken out of their home. Someone who has been removed from their home. And he says, I want you to gather the outcasts. I don't know if you understand this tonight, but God is a builder. And God is obsessed with building things for outcasts. God loves building things for people that don't belong. God loves building things for the misfits, for the people that don't fit in, for the people who were never cool enough, for the people who didn't have a home before this, for the people that, man, square peg, round hole. He loves those people. And if you're like, well, now, Jess, I actually think he really likes the church people. Let me prove you wrong. Because in Luke 14, God invites the church people. And he says, come to my house and eat my food and drink my wine and, like, have a banquet with me. And he compares this banquet to the kingdom of God. And he says, servants, go out and invite everybody. And then people, like, give excuses as to why they can't come. I don't know about you, but if God invites me to, my, like, his table, I'm going to be like, oh, oh, here. <laughs> you know? And like, there's like these people that are like, I have a wedding. Like, it's so dumb. I'm like, I don't understand, right? 
So then he says this to his servants. He says, go out into the streets and invite the lame and the beggars and the poor and the outcasts and the exiles and the people that don't fit in. And then he says this, because I want my house full. Do you know what God's saying in this moment? The people that are farthest from me, go get them. Go after them. And bring them home because I want my house full. He says that in Luke 14 and in Luke 15, he says kind of the same thing in a different way. He talks about people that are lost and things that are lost. Jesus tells three stories. He talks about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. Whenever Jesus says a story three different ways, that's when you need to like, he'll be like, this is trebly important. Like, um, this is Charles Spurgeon talking, but he says whenever Jesus says something three times, like, you got to listen. So he tells three stories, all making the same point. He says, a lost coin gets lost. And he's like, and, and the dude that was missing the coin, he rejoiced. It was actually a woman, but he goes, he rejoiced. She rejoiced when she found that coin. And then he says, a sheep went missing. And the shepherd went looking. And he, when he brought that sheep on his shoulders home, he rejoiced and he was so happy. And then there was a lost son. And it talks about when the son finally comes home how the father feels. And in each of these stories, the person of the owner of the coin, the person of the shepherd, the person of the father, they are all supposed to be representational of our God. The way God, God actually has an emotion, church. He has an emotion when things that are lost come home. He has a visceral response when something that he lost comes back to him. The heart of our Father is always for the person that is so far from him. And his desire is that they come home. And then in Nehemiah, Nehemiah builds this city with God. And he says, God, for your people that have no home, we need to build them a home. And God says, let's do it. And they begin building this amazing city. When they complete it, the very first thing that happens is Nehemiah begins to write letters to all of the exiles. And it's not just like one exile or one, you know, a couple outcasts or a couple of misfits. It's like thousands of people thousands of exiles. It's like the sons of so-and-so, and and there's 2,000 of them, and the sons of so-and-so, and and there's 3,000 of them. And it goes on and on and on and on. And I don't know where you're at tonight, but some of you need to hear that God wants to say to you, welcome home. If you've been far from him, welcome home. And to some of you, he wants to say, listen, maybe you feel like you belong in my house. Praise God. My house is for you. But now that you belong, you bring along. Now that you belong, you bring along. Now that you belong, you bring along. Meaning this, there is not a person in this room that doesn't have a teammate that isn't so far gone and so lost and feels so devalued and so unappreciated in this world. There isn't a person in here who doesn't have a coworker that is so far gone that feels like no one actually sees them. There isn't a person in here who doesn't know that. And God says, bring them all, man. I would love it. I would actually have a res- an emotional response to see these people come home. And he says, bring, man, bring the like, weirdest girl you got at Starbucks. I would love it if you brought like, the, anybody that you met downtown. Like, I don't even care. Bring them all because I want my house full. I want my house full. See, when we build, we build 
something where people belong, church. And so I don't, I don't care where you came from tonight or where your past is tonight or where your life has been, how disappointed you've been. Man, you belong in his house. You belong in his house. The second thing about when God builds is when he builds something, it's something worthy of our service. It's something worthy of our service. Nehemiah prays to God and he says, God, that you would gather. We will build. And he said that you would gather all of your people and that they would have a home. And then he said, God, give me favor. Give me favor as I build. And so God empowers him, and it's crazy if you read the story. He goes to King Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, okay, modern-day Iran. And he's like, yo, um, what up, king? We're tight. And he goes, can I have letters of safe passage back to Jerusalem? And the king says, yeah. Again, if you are a trustworthy church, you will be unstoppable in this lifetime. If people can trust you, if non-Christians can trust you, and he says, king, if it's not too much, may I have some lumber from your lumber yard? And the king's like, yep, for free, take it all. And so he does. And then he gathers this posse of people, this posse of Israelites to begin building the wall, to begin rebuilding the home for God's people. And as they begin to build, man, he lists off, Nehemiah is so cool, he lists off everybody that helped him build, like his team, Right? his full-on team. And then they get about halfway done, and the Bible says this, so we rebuilt the wall till it reached half its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. The entire wall was built in 52 days, which puts, like, modern-day construction to shame. <laughs> you know? Like, they're still working on, like, I don't know, C-470 for the next 30 years. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 52 days! They built Jerusalem, Okay? like the gates of Jerusalem, the wall. And so they're about halfway done, so they're maybe a month in. And the Bible says that they built this far because they built with all of their heart. What you need to understand about the way that God builds is that God always builds with his people and God always needs everybody. <laughs> and he needs everybody with all of their heart. This is the way that God builds his kingdom. This is the way that God builds his church. And the word church is used 144 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Greek word for church is ecclesia. And this word ecclesia comes from ek kaleo. And that word kaleo means to call. And so God calls a group of people. And what ecclesia means actually is a group of our, uh, an ensemble of people. Or listen, a called army of people meant to carry out a mission or a vision. And so the church is not, please understand me, is not a building with four walls. It is not some place you go on Sunday. And listen, terminology becomes theology, so please stop saying, I go to church. You know, be like, I am the church, because that's your true theology. The reality is, is that you are a part of something grandiose. You have been called out of darkness into the light by God who now wants you to build with him. God designed his church in such a way where it works best when everybody is a part of it. It's crazy to me. He's so intricate in the way that he designs. In fact, it says this in Ephesians chapter 4. 
So Christ himself gave apostles and prophets, the evangelists and the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God to become mature, attaining the whole measure of fullness in Christ. For it, um, from, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The body works best when each part is working with all its heart. I didn't actually mean for that to rhyme, but the body works best when each part is working with all of its heart. And listen, there is something that builders know. There is something that God knows about builders that he wants you to understand. There is a joy that will come in your life. Listen, if your life is boring tonight, maybe try building something with the Lord. If your life is lacking in, um, man, passion tonight, maybe try building something with the Lord. Because God says that if you build something with him, it will be your best life possible. And he needs every single one of us. And so the question that, I, that is for you then is like, what are you building with your life? What are you building with your life? Or are you building at all? Because I think sometimes as church attenders, honestly, like we can become more bench warmers than really builders. And honestly, for those of you who have been on teams, like bench warming isn't that bad of a gig, is it, right? <laughs> like I, I warm the bench for volleyball, okay? Somebody should have told me, how many of you play volleyball? <laughs> Praise God. Somebody should have told me, and like, you know, when I was like freshman, they're like, look, you're 5'5", five five and you're white. Um, <laughs> this just like isn't going to work out for you. You know, like I wish somebody would have said that, but they didn't. And so I played volleyball, you know, and I played club, and I made my mom and dad spend lots of money. And so I sat the bench in club volleyball. And listen, it had its, its perks, right? I got like super cool gear. I got the coolest Adidas bag you have ever seen. I got to travel with my team that year. We went to San Francisco to play some tournaments. And so I went to Bubba Gum Shrimp and I got to see sea lions and I got to like, you know, stay in hotel rooms and like laugh with my friends. And then I got to cheer at the games and act like I was a part of it, even though I never participated. And I would kind of feel the wins and I would feel the losses, right? And so I felt like I was part of the team, even though I never actually participated in the team. And I think sometimes the body of Christ can come in here and they can drink coffee. Man, and be so grateful for the people watching their kids and so grateful for the people parking their cars. And you can engage in worship and you can clap when people get saved and you feel like you are a part of the team, but you're not participating. God wants you to understand your fullest life is when you decide to get off the bench. Are you on the bench tonight? Have you said, God, look, you can have access maybe to like my mornings for five minutes, but the rest of my day is mine. Have you said, oh man, because listen, what God wants you to understand is the only way you get the John 15 kind of life, the only way you get the John 10, 10 kind of life, life full and abundant is if you build something with him. There is something that builders know that the rest of us need to know tonight. And it's this, man, build something. There is there is no greater joy that I have had than in building with a team. When I get to watch, like, the meetup and Connor preach and, like, 40 people get saved and, like, our production, like, pulls stuff off and, like, all of our intern, like, I just, like, sit there and cry. This is a body of Christ at work. And there is no, I go home at night and I can't even sleep. I'm so excited. What would your life look like 
if you spent your time building something with God. Because when God builds, man, you want to be a part of it. It says this in Acts 20. It says, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the, um, the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus who said this, it is better to give than to receive. The way that you are going to find your life, church, is in losing it. The way that you are going to retrieve the life that you have always wanted is by letting go and by giving it away. And so I wonder tonight if he's looking at you and he's like, man, I love, I love you. And because I love you, come build with me. That's the life that I want for you. And the last thing about the way that God builds is this, is that when God builds, he builds something that glorifies him. It says this in Nehemiah 6. So the wall was finished on the 25th day in the month of Elu in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, all of the nations around us were afraid and they fell greatly in their own esteem. Don't you love it? Like all the countries around were like, we're awesome. And then Jerusalem gets built and they're like, we're not so awesome. It's like so funny to me. They fell in their own esteem. You know, moral of this story, don't esteem yourself, and then you won't fall in your own esteem, amen? And so, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. The moment you decide to get off the bench and engage with the Lord, he is there to help you. He loves to co-labor with his children. It is his greatest joy. He's a lot like your earthly dad. My earthly dad loved working on cars and I'd like get under the car and he loved it. He says, the moment you get off the bench, I will work with you. I will help you. So what are you building with your life? Because I guarantee you, whether you mean it or not, or mean to or not, you are actually building something right now. And I hope that you will decide to build something more than your 401k. I hope that you will decide to build more than just a house with a white picket fence. I hope that you will decide to build something more than maybe your Facebook followers or your Instagram followers. I hope that you will decide to build more than a reputation for yourself in the next 10 years. I hope that you will decide to build something that brings him glory. The Bible says that they built the wall to halfway because they had worked with all of their heart. And I don't know what kind of success you've had in your life, but I just feel like God wants to tell you tonight that listen you've worked with all of your heart and it's been amazing and you've seen miracles and we've seen miracles here at Red Rocks Young Adults but you've only built it a part of the way in other words there is so much more for you to build there's so much more for you to see and so don't give up don't stop dreaming don't stop believing there's so much more ahead of you than there is behind you build with all your heart So what are you building tonight, young adult? Are you building into people? Are you building into your inner man as much as you are your outer man? Are you building into your city? Are you building into the poor? What are you building with your life? Because God would like to invite you to build something with him. And listen, there is no joy like building the kingdom. People who build, they understand that. And so if everybody could stand tonight, God builds and we build because we serve a God who first built. The Bible talks about um, when Jesus, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he talks to his disciples and he kind of gathers them all together. 
He says, I need to talk to you. He's like, I'm about to go somewhere. He's like, but don't worry, I'm gonna send a helper. This is what's nuts about Jesus. He says, the helper will actually be better than me. I don't know about you, but anything that's better than Jesus, I want. Amen? So Jesus says, before I go, and then he says, I'm going to my father's house. He says, to prepare a place for you. A few weeks ago, I was hanging out with a friend. His name's Todd Ballard. He actually helped uh, found this church. I was talking with his kids, and his kids play this game all the time with, his, with Todd, their dad, and they talk about what they think their room will be like that God is building for them in heaven. And so their son, Grady, he goes, oh, I think it's going to have Twizzlers, uh, and then the floor will be Twizzlers. <laughs> and I was like, he's like, I don't even know how old he is. I was like, cool, Grady, all right. And their daughter, Brooke, was like, oh, it's going to have for sure unicorns, and there's going to Twinkies as the pillows on my bed. And I was like, yeah, why not, man? Here's the reality, is that God says, I am going ahead of you to prepare a place for you. And just like my dad scooped me up in his lap, as a nine-year-old kid, God wants you to understand that he is laying out, he's scooping you up in his lap. He's laying out a blueprint for you. And he's like, that's your room. You like it? I built it just for you. So I don't know what you came in here with tonight. But man, he loves you so much and he's building something just for you with every head bowed. I have one simple question. I think everybody in here probably would like to build more. I know I want to build more. But the question I actually want to ask is this, is man, have you been missing out on the God that's been building for you? on the God that so loves you and so chooses you and so desires you that he's got blueprints with just you in mind, not anybody else. And if that's you tonight and you would like to know this God, this King of Kings and this Lord of Lords who sent his son to live a sinless life and die on our behalf, raise from the dead and give us the Holy Spirit, if that's you in here tonight, would you just raise your hand nice and high and say, I'd like to receive Christ for the very first time. Amen, amen, amen. God, we thank you for tonight. God, I thank you that you are a builder. God, I thank you that we get to build with you. And God, I pray that tonight as we worship you, we would be absolutely moved by what you want to do in us, through us, in this city, now and until the end of time. God, if we would work with all of our heart, what could we do for you, Lord? We praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.